Welcome to the audiobook version of the novel Mercy Not Sacrifice by Dan Parks, read by the author. Hey, this is Dan Parks, author of Mercy Not Sacrifice. Let me say thank you for listening to my audiobook version of the project. I really appreciate it. It was fun to do, and it's, it's also fun to record. If you're enjoying this, please do me a favor and leave a review and rate the podcast, as that really helps me on iTunes, helps it get noticed and helps other people enjoy the project as well. Thanks. Stay tuned for another chapter. Chapter 12. Money. The Friday after Thanksgiving is a day reserved for the wives to go out shopping, and for the men to be able to make turkey sandwiches and snack on day-old pumpkin pie. It's the kind of day that a man makes plans to do something that he has no intention of doing. The garage project is saved for such a day. Archie and Sam were at the trucking office. Sam in the chair by the door, and Archie behind his desk. Under the window sill, to his right was a jar of pens, a paper clip holder, a stapler, a three-hole punch, a college dictionary, and a Dewey Reams Bible that Grandma Marta had given him. In the center, before his eyes, was a large, flat monthly calendar on which he kept the due dates for the bills. Company bills were written in red ink, and personal bills in blue, and sometimes the ink became blurred between the two. Sam took off his hat and rubbed his head, and set it on the edge of his knee. How long's it been since Dad's been in here? he asked. He gazed past his brother through the glass window to the bare desk in the other room. Archie kicked his feet up on the corner of his desk, but didn't bother turning around. A while, he replied. That's why I thought it necessary to bring it up yesterday. We need to get on with our lives. Archie placed his feet back on the floor and put his elbows on the desk. He looked at the whiteboard on the wall above Sam's head. Written on it were the dedicated trekking runs for the business. Common carriers had daily loads to Newark, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Chicago, Houston, Portland, and Los Angeles. Listed below were the weekly loads to Detroit, Miami, Albuquerque, Fargo, and San Francisco. During the spring and fall, Common carriers employed about 45 drivers. This is our business now, Archie said. He didn't have half those loads before I secured them. Grandpa John had always operated the business with the Henry Ford mentality. Ford realized that it would be a smart thing to pay a high enough wage so that his workers could afford the cars that they were building. Grandpa John determined early on that when he offered a man a job, he was selling a career to them, and in return he got the driver's loyalty. He paid more than any other company and was proud of it. A working man is not all that different from a housewife. Both, when they feel appreciated, will go the extra mile, or drive the extra mile in the case of Carmen Carriers. True, Sam said, but I remember working on some of those deals with you. Sam could feel the air thickening in the room. The air warmed with a self-righteous pride as Archie began to build himself up. It was the culmination of a life lived in the shadow of his father. I realize that, Archie said. We're in it together now, and I've got ideas to make more money. The first thing being cutting driver pay. Sam reached in his shirt pocket and pulled out a soft packet of cigarettes. He shook the pack from the bottom and popped one out, taking it with the corner of his mouth. He lit it with a cupped hand and took a long first drag. We've had some of these drivers for 30 years, Sam said, when we hardly knew how to drive ourselves. Why would you want to start cutting pay now? Archie placed his hands palm down on the desk. It's going to take money to buy him out. Why the rush? Sam asked. Archie had stopped calling Grandpa John by his name the day before. It's time to expand, Archie said. Trucking is getting more competitive, and I want more power to make decisions. Sam's eyebrows raised. You want more power? As of now, he has to sign off on any of my decisions. 
So what is our plan? On the business side, we need to draw up a buyout agreement and get him to sign it, Archie said. And on the personal side, we need to get him to amend his will. When was the last time that you seen him, Sam asked. I saw him come in on the county road and drive down to the shop, Archie said. I stood up in the window and watched him. He got out of his pickup and handed an envelope to Mike and then left. Last Monday, Sam asked. Yes, Archie said. It was Mike's birthday, Sam said. Archie had thought the letter was for him. He had had it all thought out. He pictured Mike walking into the office and giving him a speech about Grandpa John asking for his forgiveness. That explains the card. So how do you think we should offer him the buyout, Sam asked. The bitterness in Archie began to focus. If Grandpa John didn't have a card for him, then most certainly he would have one for Grandpa John. Certified mail, Archie said. Sam turned his head sideways. The mail, he asked. If he wasn't our dad, how would we do it, Archie said. It's the most professional way. Sam couldn't fight him on that. He knew that if they were going to do it, then they needed to do it right. Okay, Sam said. I walked out the door of my mobile home to my old pickup underneath the carport. I had had the maroon two-wheel drive short bed Ford since I was 16 years old. Never replaced anything on it but a heater core. They don't make them like that anymore. I drove it into town passing over Commerce Street and up past St. Michael's School and Church and parked down the hill at Gino's Grocery Store. Inside I took a basket and walked through the outside aisle. I grabbed a bag of cheese chips, a head of lettuce, a loaf of bread, a jar of mayonnaise and mustard, a stalk of celery, and walked to the meat counter in the back. Gino, I said. His eyes met mine through the glass of the meat case, and I saw his familiar, big smile. Johnny, he responded. Gino Tivioli was a third-generation Italian immigrant. His father's father had established the store in 1945 after the war had ended. His father ran it for a time before he succumbed to scoliosis of the liver, forcing Gino to run it at the young age of 19. He was a big, round man with dark features and had a full head of hair with even thicker eyebrows. He wore a white butcher's coat with 12 buttons down the front and rolled the sleeves up exposing his strong and hairy forearms. A pound of pastrami, I said. Ah, the usual, Gino responded with a wink. Has it already been a week? I nodded. How's your mother doing, he asked. It's been at least a year since she's been in here. Two years, I said. Gino saw through the sacrificial stare of responsibility that hung on my face. I'm sure she's hanging in there, he said. My mind thought about my next stop. Try and keep her off the sauce, he said. Some people just can't have it without it having them. Gino paused and reached back into the display and pulled out a block of fresh pepper jack cheese and cut off eight ounces. He wrapped it up and handed it over to me. On the house, he said. Give your mother my greetings. Leaving the grocery store, I drove through Main Street, passing Fishman's full-service gas station. He had two pumps, two service bays, and a personality that didn't leak oil. He was open six and a half days a week and had been since 1965. I went past the old grain bins by the river and by the old rust-colored post office and past the fish hook where Slippin' Jimmy stood on the stoop and was partly asleep or half-drunk or maybe a combination of the two. Across the street from the bar was what had been William's Chevrolet. But during the auto bailout in 2009, Chevrolet took away his rights to be a certified dealer, and he now went by the name Williams Auto. His inventory and sales have went down the river since. Caddy corner from the dealership was Keeper's Restaurant, where they were famous for taking Gino's fresh-cut steaks and adding a baked potato with a leaf of lettuce, and called it the special. On a weekend, you'd be lucky to find an open seat at Keeper's. It was the kind of place that kept generations living in Gardenstown. Up on the block, on the corner, was Cuddy's Pharmacy, where for a century they had made the best tuna salad sandwiches in the county. 
and paired it with a fresh squeezed orangeade. The current cutty owner, Joe, was tall and slender with a long, welcoming nose. Upon entry to the pharmacy, every customer would hear, Welcome to Cuddy's. He then would extend his hand and finish, I'm Joe. How may I help you? Uptown Hill from the Knights of Columbus Hall was where Ian's minivan sat outside the bank, and on the inside he crafted the buyout agreement letter to Grandpa John per Archie's instruction. Past the old Lutheran church, the museum at the high school parking lot was Rod Goodwin underneath the back axle of a school bus. Rod was a short and mostly bald man, and the wisps of hair that remained were a charming strawberry blonde color that flowed out the back and sides of an old Gardenstown yellow jacket's hat. I honked as I passed by, and he rolled out from underneath the bus. He stood up and waved as he was a friendly man. He was Gardenstown's bus driver. Down the road, and past O'Malley's drive-in, I parked my pickup outside the White Gate Apartments. I took the brown paper bag of groceries from Gino's from the passenger side of the bench seat, and slowly stepped out till both my feet touched the ground. I looked up at the second floor and took the wooden exterior stairs to the door, and I knocked. Mom, I said, it's open. Through the darkness, I found my way to the kitchen and set down the groceries on the breakfast bar. Inching past the ottoman in the living room, I made my way to the window and opened the blinds, and a cloud of dust erupted in my face. She lived in a small, two-bedroom apartment since my dad sold my childhood home out from under her. Ian and I had helped her move in, and I came by weekly, but he had not been back since. Down the hallway was her spare bedroom that doubled as her painting studio. Three full-size easels stood as memorials to the woman she could have been. Her only finished work since the move were the walls of the room itself, where she had painted a wraparound reproduction of Van Gogh's Starry Night. Cases full of paint and acrylics, temperas, and oil sat in the corner, unopened. In the bedroom, she laid on her side, facing away from the door. Hello, Mom. She looked at me over her shoulder. I bought groceries, I said. I'll put them in the fridge. She sat up in bed and lit a cigarette. She was a medium height for a woman, but she was skinny with dark brown hair and olive green eyes, just like mine. Where's your brother Ian, she asked. At the bank, I responded. I'm so proud of him, she said. The ash on her cigarette grew long and horned and fell down on the comforter. How's your week been, I asked. Been busy, she responded. She pointed to the window across from her bed with closed curtains. Open that up and let some light in here. I did as she asked. I suppose the Carmens are going to have Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow? We had it at Ian's, I said. See, she said, shaking the finger she held the cigarette with. Ian's a good boy, and he has such a nice house to do it in. You know now that your grandma Martyr is gone and all? I was always her favorite. Just ask your dad. I decided to go along with the fact that she thought the day was yet to come. What are you going to do for Thanksgiving? I might call my sister, she responded. And cook a turkey and stuffing and cranberries? I I'll do it all. She became excited with the possibility of something new, and it grew towards an overwhelming feeling until she took the fifth of pop-off vodka from the end table and took a pull on it to steady herself. When she stood up from the bed, her nightgown slid up to her waist, and it revealed that she wasn't wearing any underwear. I walked away from the mess that she had become, back to the kitchen. I'll make you something to eat before I leave. She walked to the bathroom off the bedroom and said, Let me do something about this hair. I grabbed a plate from the dirty dishes stacked up on the counter and washed it by hand. I looked for a towel, and when I saw the condition of the rag that hung on the stove handle, I dried it off with my shirt. Thanksgiving Day, she said, walking down the hallway. I can't believe it. I needed something to look forward to, and now I got it. And my Ian is hosting the Carmen family dinner. That's my boy. That's my boy. My mom was diagnosed with clinical bipolar disorder on my seventh birthday. It came exactly a year after our last family portrait was taken. My dad fell in love with her because of her energy, but it proved to be her downfall.
I'm making you a sandwich, I said. She slipped in behind me and reached her arm to the freezer. This damn ice maker, she said. The metal arm needs to be down. If it's not down, it will not make ice. She backed away from the freezer, as if her bones were rigid and unoiled, and she began to tremble and shake. She looked as if she was going to have another seizure, and I braced myself for it. She lifted her head towards the ceiling, and her eyes rolled to the back of her head, and she cried out to heaven. Release me in the name of Jesus, she said. Let me go. Let my people go. Like the turning of a page, she came back to reality and walked to the cabinet to grab a fresh fifth of vodka. What was that? I asked. The demons had me, she said. And that gets rid of them? Sometimes, she said, taking a sip of vodka without ice. When it doesn't work, I just drink more until the happy demons come. Demons. I felt like I had two for parents, and I was the mirror image of both, and that reflection of myself had shattered years ago. I left her apartment when she was on the third glass. In my pickup, I turned the key and exhaled, and I remembered that my dad wanted to meet with me that morning. I drove eastward on Randolph Street and turned on to 15th, driving past the city maintenance shed, where Vinnie Varner was hardly at work. Vinnie had been receiving a pension from the Air Force for as long as I could remember. He was a tall and slenderly built man with a smooth gray comb over. He was all smiles and proud of it. All my own teeth, he said. It was a cow milk I had as a boy, straight from the udder to the cup. I slowed to cross the railroad tracks and drove up to the intersection of Highway 240 and turned right back towards town. But I made a turn away from the Gardenstown city limit side southward on Highway 87 and out to his church. Grandpa John had given Dad the land. The church was already on it. The congregation had just lost their pastor when he had finished seminary, and it was all providential when everything fit into place. What I didn't understand was how the man that was my father could become a pastor. I knew who he was, and who he tried to be. My relationship with my dad had always been at arm's length. It was the same with myself, the same with God. When I'm quiet, and my thoughts are still, I go back to when I was young. Them not loving each other, their divorce, them not loving themselves. I've always been stuck somewhere in the middle. The church building was old. The last time that it was painted white was a decade earlier, and the siding was chipping and curling from the wear. The tin reflected the late morning sun, and I squinted from its light as I knocked on the solid oak doors. Doors are open, he said. I walked in. Always open, he said, walking out of his office door to the right of the altar. Six rows of pews made space for 36 congregants. On Christmas and Easter, he was happy when he welcomed 25 through the door. Stained glass windows lined the walls, reds, blues, violets, and yellows. Place looks nice, I said. The freshly waxed floors gleamed and creaked as I walked towards his office. Have a seat, he said. The walls of his office were lined with pictures. He had had one of Ian, one of me, and a large extended family picture. He had a picture of Grandpa John in front of his very first tractor and trailer. His frame, seminary degree, sat unhung in the corner up against the filing cabinet. What's this about, I asked. He leaned forward in his chair. I don't see you out here on Sundays, he said. Do you notice the new stained glass window on the east side? Dad, I said. Yesterday at dinner, you were acting like you were still missing her, he said. Oh, and I suppose you have the answer to that? I do, he answered as he opened his arms, proposing an answer. I mean, he has the answers. We just have to open our hearts and ears and wait. Wait for what? I asked. You think that you have the right to preach to me? I'm the one that plays the intermediary in our little family that you decided to quit. You come out here and live by yourself and leave it all behind. Did you know that Ian and Kathleen were headed towards a divorce? I didn't, he said. 
They looked put together at dinner yesterday. What about Jeffrey, I asked. Did you know that he was cutting himself? I knew that he was in the hospital, he responded. What about Mom, I asked. Did you know I go over there every week to deliver her groceries and that she hasn't left her apartment in months? His face grew even more stern. He readied himself. No, I didn't, Johnny, he said. But this isn't about them. Your life isn't about other people. You need to move on from Lori. She's not good for you anymore. You don't get to do that, I said. He steadied his lips. It's just a suggestion. Well, I suggest that you've ruined my life. The rest of the family stayed married and you got divorced. All the rest of the family is Catholic and you come out here and preach at a Baptist church. The choices were mine, he said. They didn't involve you and they don't reflect on you. People see me through your actions. You're your own man, he said. You'll be judged by your story, not mine. Is that right? I asked standing up. Listen to me, he said. Please move on, son. With the family that I've been given, I said, Lori is all I have. And I walked out of his office and out of his church. And I got in my pickup and drove it back to town.